0: Amen and amen, and a very good morning to you all. Welcome to the second month of the year. Wow. We are 35 days deep into 2024. It just felt like last week we, we just were wishing people happy new year, and we are 35 days deep into 2024 uh, we have to be grateful to God for first and foremost keeping us alive that we have seen this day, amen. Uh, I believe that being alive is a statement uh, that we will truly pursue our plans. For those of you who remember Pastor Robert's message, he fired us on to pursue our plans, amen. It's, it's a statement that we will pursue our plans. We being alive too, is a testament to how faithful God is. Amen. That's why we should never get tired of singing praises. We should never get tired of worshipping God. Amen. Thank God for that. Okay, let's pray and let's get right into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your Holy Word. Pray that your Word will come forth in power, simplicity, and clarity of speech. May I minister under inspiration. May I minister under the influence of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. John 19, verse 25 to 30. Last week, I couldn't even keep up with how many installments. Today, I kept track. We are on part 88, amen, part 88, I'm ministering under the sub-theme, Seven. I only chose Seven because I've been listening to this album called Seven by Brooke Liggettwood. I'm sure some of you might know her, uh, the, the, the writer and the composer of what a beautiful name it is. You know, she, 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 she's part of the Hillsong worship team and she did a solo project and she calls it Seven. I just just, let me just borrow her title, Amen. I'm sure I'm sure it will fit in with today's content that God will allow us to hear. So, John chapter nineteen, verse twenty five to thirty. John nineteen. Anyway, it's good music. I recommend it to you. Listen, Amen. Let's listen to more godly music. Having the mind of Christ just doesn't have to do with Bible reading. It all have to do with the songs you listen to. Amen. I don't know her, so if she hears me doing promo for her, she should thank God for that. Amen. All right. John chapter 19, verse 25 to 30, I read. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Madeline. Jesus was fond of the name Mary. You know, his mother is called Mary, his mother's sister is called Mary. But Mark 15, if you read Mark 15's version, she's the same woman called Salome. Amen. So I think she's called Mary Salome, the wife of Clopas, (laughs) I'm very very sure. All right. But Mark used Salome, John used Mary. And, And then Mary Madeline. The one that they said that, oh, Jesus's girlfriend, you know, was rumored because, you know, Jesus was close with. Mary. Jesus loved Mary. I think we are called Mary, it was very affectionate towards you. Because there are, there are many Marys that Jesus has said, There's not only these Marys. If you read the Bible, you see that there were a lot more Marys. And then Martha. So I think if your name starts with M, you, you are in Jesus's bouquet, man. Anyway. Verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by. You know, I really like John. He wrote this. You understand? <laughs> it's, not, it's not someone is writing this about it. He is writing it is a, I am the one whom Jesus loves. And he, he, this is his fourth time writing this. If you read the book of John, you'll come across this. Um, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Four times. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on his soap, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. By his head, he gave up his spirit. Amen. We are on the heels of last week's sermon. Last week, we spoke about the victory of crucifixion. You know, we talked about Jesus dying such a humiliating death. A death that was reserved for the worst of all criminals. You know, this just this week, I, I read an article. It's not so funny. I think it's a sad. But there is this hardened criminal who, who they tried to give him lethal injection. 18 times he survived. 18 times. Because whenever they put the needle there, they couldn't find a vein. 18 times. Lethal injection. So he has a uh, max all over his body like 18 times. They tried to kill him. He wasn't died, but COVID killed him. He died of COVID. I think that's the last two weeks or so in jail. Amen. <laughs> but what I've said is that the, 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 the worst of all criminals, they are put to death by crucifixion. And you know that a very sad death, which was reserved for the worst of all criminals, died. On his death, they really treated him like the worst criminal because they put him in the middle of all the criminals. During the Roman time, the person who is in the middle is seen as the worst of all culprits, the chiefest of all sinners. The one who disturbed the peace of the society is put in the middle. It was a shameful death. We looked at his suffering. Spikes were put through his wrist, his ankles, uh, and, and he he was just finished. I, I think at that point, he, he had oozed every blood possible. And we looked at the victory of crucifixion when we saw in verse 20 of our chapter uh, that we are still on, that his death brought people together. It brought races together. It was a United Nations affair. His name, the king of the Jews, was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. That was powerful. It it spoke to us about reconciliation. And then verse 23 to 24, we saw something amazing. The Bible lets us know that they looked at his tunic that he was wearing, because he was wearing a tunic. They said, okay, we shouldn't mess this one up. But the garments, they tore it into four pieces. And, you know, I was thinking about the tunic, and I thank God for the revelation that God shared on that to me. You know, in the Old Testament, the only person that wore a tunic without sin was the high priest. And you read Exodus. I believe Exodus chapter 25. When God was giving Moses the specification of the... High priest garment. He wore a tunic without seam. And the only person as size that who wore that again was Jesus. So that you know, everything in the Bible is not there by coincidence. So to me, that also spoke to us about Jesus' priestly ministry. He was indeed our high priest. And then he was also a scapegoat. Because we looked at, even though they, 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 they tore his garment into four pieces to cast lots, it wasn't just a fulfillment of Psalm 22 verse 18 that David had prophesied upon, but it had a far more deeper meaning as Jesus being our scapegoat. And we looked at that in Leviticus chapter 16. And then my favorite part is when we talked about what Jesus' death, or what Jesus' crucifixion holds for today's Christian. We looked at two scriptures. We could look at a myriad of scriptures, but we just decided to pick two from Galatians 3, verse 13 to 14, and Colossians 2, verse 14 to 16. From these two scriptures, we realize Christ has become a curse for us. Um, He has become a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham will come upon us. And we came to establish the point that the blessing of Abraham is we have been justified by faith because we are the righteousness of God. And not just that, we've received the Spirit. It's no longer a promise, it's a reality. We are walking in it. We, we also uh, read that the law which was against us, This you is know, the law was not for us, the law was against us. And why had the law had to be against us? The law had to be against us for us to know that we are in need of a savior. We can't fulfill the righteous requirements of the law until a savior meets those requirements. That's why the law had to be against us. If the law was for us, there would have been no need for Jesus Christ to come on earth. It would have even made man God. Man thinking that I have every strength, every power to please God. But We saw that wasn't the case. Jesus Christ has taken away that handwriting of requirements he's wiped it away taking it out of the way he has stood in that gap we who were helpless defenseless we couldn't do anything to meet and fulfill the righteous requirements of the law he has come and stand in our place has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law so that now when we are in christ it's the end of the law and through that we cannot be called the righteousness of God. We also realize that the devil has been defeated, not just the devil and his enemies. His cohort of enemies have been defeated. They have been stripped naked. All this happened during the crucifixion. Behind the scenes, the devil was stripped naked. He was paraded. An open show has been made in front of him. So don't be afraid of the enemy of your soul, the enemy of your faith. He's been defeated. So Christians who tend to be very afraid of the enemy, they might have probably missed the parade. And when God gives us the opportunity to become preachers of the gospel, one of our duties is to put this in the forefront of the minds of our members, that the devil who is the enemy of our soul has been defeated. When you know that, it gives you an upper hand in the spiritual warfare. First and foremost, you will learn how to trust in God more. Secondly, you will now fight from a position of praise and victory rather than fear and superstition. Amen. I think C.S. Lewis, he said that um, the devil has two tricks. The first trick is to let you know he doesn't exist. And that's skepticism. The second trick is superstition. That means anything that happens in this world is attributed to the devil. All these two viewpoints are tricks of the enemy. It just makes them strong. So if you're a skeptic, oh, I don't believe in the existence of demons, you are deceived. The devil has you. And if you are also the superstitious type where even when you are lit in traffic, you want to attribute it to the devil. When you go to whatever supermarket and you don't see your milk, it's run out. You want to blame the devil. You too, the devil has you. So superstition and skepticism are two ways by which the enemy has you. So when you come to the place where you can't understand what the Bible says about the devil, I just remembered one of the powerful men of God, God ever raised in our generation in this world. is called Reverend Amwako. He talks about Bible-sized God, Bible-sized devil. You, what, what, what he just means by that is that you should be able to size the devil up by the Bible. Don't size him by your tradition. Don't size him by folklore. Don't size him by what somebody else has said. Size him up by reading the Bible. When you read the Bible, you will know how to size up the devil. If point his own word, Bible size. You have to size up the devil by the estimation of what God says the devil is. And then size God too by the estimation of what the Bible says about God. Bible size God, Bible size devil. Amen. And one of the things I like that the victory of crucifixion has afforded us, is that it helps us to walk in the freedom and in the liberty of the new covenant. Thank God for that. It mentions some things which we all talked about last week. And those things, food, drink, uh, new moon, all these are shadows. It's not the substance of Christ. Amen. Now, very important here in today's um, reading, We see that Jesus is at the point of death. He's at the closing hours of his life. And in this scripture, it's replete of saints of Christ because they are in red. That's the common thing. We see four things here. Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. I thirst. It is finished. You see, when Jesus stood on the cross at, and and when, when when he was on the cross, at the foot of the cross stood his loved ones, his mother, his auntie, and his avid supporter because Mary Magdalene supported Jesus' ministry with her substance. Three women, one man. That was all that Jesus had. Then they were there. Jesus saw his mother. He saw the disciple. And he spoke to them. He spoke to the disciple. John claimed, I am the one Jesus loves. Behold your mother. Jesus looked at Mary. He said, woman, behold your son. And the Bible says to that when Jesus knew that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine with hyssop, put it in his mouth. And then when he tasted it, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head, gave up his spirit. What can we learn from this? Traditionally, there is something that we always call the seven saints of Jesus. It is believed that when Jesus was on the cross, he had seven saints. And I just want us to go through them. Amen. So four are recorded here. And let's look at the three that are scattered. In other places. So that's why I I always keep on saying, whenever you read an event, especially in the gospels, don't stick to one account. Try and find out. So that you know you will get every picture possible and clear. So go with me to Matthew chapter 27. Now verse 45, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabatani?" That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was the scapegoat. It felt like he was in a wilderness. You remember the scapegoat? The scapegoat takes the sins of all the people and he goes into the wilderness, taking away the sins of the people. And then in gratitude to God, the high priest will now slaughter the other goats for a sin offering which means that the sins of the people have been atoned. Verse 47, some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. You know, the Jewish people feared Elijah because they know that Elijah didn't die. They know. He didn't die. He was caught up in the heavens. So Elijah has some sort of mysticism, some sort of aura, and he was very dramatic. Go and read the story. If I be a man of God, let fire fall down from heaven. Fire will come and will kill people just like that. It was very dramatic. If I, Elijah, it's even difficult to even trace his origin. So there is this mysticism, this aura. People don't know whether he's a human being, whether, you know, whether he's a celestial, be- people don't know. Like He didn't die. It was among Jewish folk. They feared Elijah. So when they had, Je- and probably Jesus was screaming. And they said, This man is calling for Elijah. This man, we know him very well. Immediately, one of them ran, took a sponge filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, offered it to him to drink. All right? So that was one of the sayings. It captures the heart of crucifixion here. Jesus was really suffering. He felt forsaken. Things are the first time. He, he had to stand in the place on what it means to be a sinner. He's never felt that before. That is what every sinner goes through. And when we, when we are sinners by nature, who didn't incur the pleasure of God? We were forsaken that's why Jesus had to come and stand in the gap and abridge that gap. Jesus became forsaken. He became that scapegoat in the wilderness. Like I'm telling you, scapegoat's not an English word. It's a Bible word. A Bible word which means that I speak all the... You know, this goat is innocent. You just take a goat, place your hand on the goat, say all your sins... I coveted. I broke all the ten commandments. I have envy. I have jealousy. Uh, I may have slept with somebody's husband or wife. I, I was I was an unfair master. You know the Bible talks about dishonest skills are an abomination. That means when you are weighing things to sell, weigh it correctly. I did all these things. I collected bribes. You say all these things on an innocent goat, and then you release the goat into the wilderness. It carries the sins away. Jesus had to take that place and suffer in a spiritual wilderness and felt it so that you and I, we will come to a place where we will never feel forsaken again by God. Luke records the other two. Because Matthew just recorded one. So let's look at Luke. Luke chapter 23. Verse 39. Then one of the criminals who hanged with Christ... Blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Crucifixion is a painful thing. They were all suffering. But I think, you know, he's heard of a Messiah, a Christ. You know, Christ here is a title, the anointed one, the Messiah. You have come to save. we, We are expecting you to come like Moses. We are expecting you to come, you know, in this dramatic fashion. We are expecting you to come like some of our heroes, Samson, who has so much strength. We are expecting you to come like Gideon. Gideon who led just 300 people to defeat the Midianites. We are expecting you to come like King David. You know, a king who fought 66 battles and never lost one. We are expecting you to come in. Any of these dramatic people who who are men of war and men of renown. this is what we are expecting. And you are hanging on the cross. If you are are truly that mighty, if you are truly that anointed, save yourself and save us. We are in pain. That's the reality. Forty. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. How was this other sinner able to know Christ has done nothing wrong? I don't know. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, even on the cross in pain, was reconciling people. Is it Jesus' whole thing was about reconciliation, reconciling the world to Christ reconciling his mother to his disciple and his disciple to his mother. Reconciliation right there. Because the Bible says that when Jesus did that introduction, son behold your mother, woman behold your son. The Bible says that after that, John took Mary to his own house. And I want to believe a relationship formed from there. A son and a mother relationship to replace Jesus. That's reconciliation right there. Right there on the cross, too. A spiritual reconciliation, too, is taking place. He's reconciling the world to himself. And it came at a pain. He had to feel forsaken. Not even feel forsaken, he was forsaken. That's why he had to scream. Look at the third one. Let's read on. Now, it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed this last. He acknowledged God as the Father. For me, this is where we have to even understand the concept of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He committed his spirit because he realized my job is done. And then these are the three sins. And then the four sins where he talked about woman, behold your son, behold your mother, and I thirst. It showed that Jesus came as the son of man. He didn't just come as God. And I believe that was what we were doing today at our Bible study. He didn't just come as, we came as man. He felt every pain, every sensation that we went through and that his seventh saying it is finished god willing i'll touch on it is finished alone next week but these are the seven sayings of jesus and to bring this message and wrap it up with a bow let's look at a scripture in leviticus chapter 16 verse 19 to 22 So Leviticus chapter 16, it talks to us about the protocol of atonement. So please look and listen to it carefully because last week, this was where we looked at the scripture where we came to understand that the scapegoat concept is a prophetic picture of redemption. It speaks of Christ. Verse 19, then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times. Now, what is the it there? The it's there is talking about the horns of the altar, right? So there is the altar with the horns on it. You sprinkle the blood on it. When after you've sacrificed the other goats, remember it's two goats. One goat is gone. It's released into the wilderness. That's the scapegoat. Now, this is the other goods that is going to be used as sin offering to atone for the sins of the people. And the Bible says no, that he shall sprinkle some of the blood after he sacrificed the blood on the horn of the altar with his finger seven times, seven times. Cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of Israel. See, not four not three, not five, not six, seven times. No. And according to the Jewish custom, you know, numerically speaking, they believe that seven is the number of perfection. So that's why they do it seven times. Under the new covenant, I'm not so much into biblical numerology because the Bible does not really have a place for it. Uh, when you read from Acts right up to Revelation, we don't really have. I mean, I do understand when some people still like to get into these things, seven, perfection, eight, new beginnings, nine. But sometimes doing that, you become too superstitious. And and sometimes it can take away the substance of Christ. Are you understanding me? But in the Old Testament, numbers denoted certain messages. Numbers connoted. Certain revelations that you have to understand: five grace, three the Trinity. So when when the priest does it seven times, it's talking about perfection. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goods. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. 22. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to their, to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. That's what happened to Jesus. He became the scapegoat and he became the sin offering. But there is something you have to understand here. When the goat is sacrificed as a sin offering, the priest has to dip his finger in the blood of the goat and sprinkle it seven times, which shows that atonement has taken place. Forgiveness has taken place. And Israel has now been consecrated because remind you, it was only Israel that could partake in the atonement. No other nation. Now, to me, this also speaks to me about Jesus' death. He also shed blood seven times so that we, the whole world, not just Israel, but the whole world could be consecrated from the uncleanness of this world. That's why I call today's message seven. Because Jesus did not just have seven saints on the cross. He also shed his blood seven times. Because according to the law of the priest, when blood is shed seven times or when it's sprinkled seven times, it calls for cleansing, it calls for consecration from uncleanness and pollution. So I want us to look at 7, Luke chapter 22, verse 44, the first one. Let's start from verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 43. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Why was he strengthened? Luke chapter 22, verse 41 to 44. An angel came to strengthen him. Why? Why? Verse 4. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I was very surprised when I discovered that there is a scientific term for this. I remember many years ago, Pastor Jessica and I were listening to one of or, or let I say one of our mentors. We we're listening to him. And he's an environmental scientist and he was talking about something called hematidrosis hematidrosis is uh, the, the 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 vessels the the capillaries that that produces sweat glands when it is under extreme stress and extreme pressure the capillaries come burst and when they burst blood will flow But Jesus was under intense stress. It it, it, it doesn't really happen because you have to be under intense stress to experience that. You know, the blood vessels that feed the sweat gland, when it raptures, it can burst and then blood can come out. So Jesus was under extreme physical and emotional stress. It really weighed on him that he has to die on the cross. That's why an angel had to come and strengthen him. I I don't think he was so much afraid, but it was just the agony of the sin of the world upon him. It caused him to shed blood. That was the first recorded place that we see that he shed blood. And John, as we've been doing the series, we have seen the place where Jesus was flogged. He was whipped. He had stripes on his back. He shed blood. It was for our healing. By his stripes, we are healed. At the whipping post, shed a lot of blood. He shed blood on his wrists or on his hands because spikes were nailed there. On his feet or on his ankles, he shed blood. His side, which we will talk about next two weeks, John 19, 31. It talks about his side was pierced where blood and water gushed out. That was the fifth place where he shed blood. Number six, we did that. The Bible lets us know that before they presented him to Pilate, they made a crown of thorns and they twisted it on the crown of his head where blood was oozing out. And then the seventh, all the bruises and all the wounds he endured. Jesus was really bruised. Isaiah 53 says that he was beaten to the point that he didn't look like a man. He lost his visage. He lost his appearance as a man. Have you seen someone beaten so bad to the point that he doesn't look like a human being? All the bruises, all the wounds, all the pains that he had to go through, that was bloodshed. Seven times. Jesus shed blood seven times. Seven significant points. Why? Because just as the goat was sacrificed as sin offering for atonement, for cleansing, Jesus had to shed blood to according to that order so that the whole world we can experience cleansing, we can experience redemption, we can experience forgiveness of sins. I bring my message to one end. Seven. Seven places Jesus shed blood, seven things that the Lord said on the cross as was in agony. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I've delivered your word according to your counsel. I pray that may this word be on the tables of our hearts. May this word cause us to love you more. May this word cause us to know you more. May this word cause us to see your hand more in whatever detail in our lives. May this word cause us to trust you more. May this word give us a renewed sense of hope, a renewed sense of revival to serve you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take communion.